And so I want us to read through this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to make some comments along the way. And then I've got just a few practical things that I want to send you home with today, that when we fulfill these roles that God has divinely assigned to us in Ephesians chapter 5, what will happen in our marriages, in our lives, as a result of that? So going to verse 22... He says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And he said, now here's what that looks like. First of all, for wives. For wives. So notice he's very clear here now that he's focusing on the home. He's focusing on marriage. Now, that doesn't mean that other women should not have a spirit of submission because like it just said, all of us are to submit one to another in the family of God. But he said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, when we talk about that word submit, again, let me just remind you, ladies, that does not mean that God is saying that you are inferior to man. It is not saying that you are less valuable than man. It's not saying that you are less glorious than man is. You remember the scripture that we looked at last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where Peter says to us men, he said, be good husbands to your wives, honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But then he goes on and says, but in the new life of God's grace, your equals. Treat your wives then as equals so that your prayers don't run aground, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And so he's very clear there that husbands and wives, men and women, we're equals. He said another place, Galatians, he said that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. We are all one. We are all a part of the family of God. So women, that does not mean that you're inferior. It does not mean you're less valuable or less glorious. And he goes on and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is not the Taliban around here, all right? Where there is an atmosphere or a culture where all women are to be submissive to all men. No, according to scripture, wives, you are to be submissive to your own husband and your own husband alone. And then he tells us what that looks like. He said, be submissive to your own husband as to the Lord. Now listen, here's what he's saying there. He's saying that that doesn't mean, ladies, that you just follow the leadership of your husband, that you just obey blindly. No. And gentlemen, you remember when we talked last week about the divinely assigned place that God has given you in your house to be the leader of your home. And that's basically what head means. It means leader. It's not about inequality. It's not about tyranny. It's not about passivity. But what that means is, yes, you are the authority. But listen to me. It's a righteous authority that you lead with. Are you hearing me? A righteous authority, not an unrighteous authority. An unrighteous authority looks like this. Unrighteous authority looks like manipulation, intimidation, and domination. The Bible calls it a spirit of Jezebel. And it's not just on women. It can also be on men. That's unrighteous authority. And God has not called us, gentlemen, to lead our families that way with manipulation and intimidation and domination. It is a righteous authority. I can't help but think about Psalm 23, about the Lord being our shepherd. And what does he do? He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And so what he's saying here, it's submitting them as to the Lord. It means that they're, if they're trying to get you to follow them in unrighteousness, and if they're trying to get you to follow them as a believer, as Christian couple in sin, you are not required, you are not demanded to do that, okay? If, if you've got to choose between God, if you've got to choose between what Jesus says and what your husband, you choose God every time. Now, there may be some men that may not like that here this morning, but that's a part of your submissiveness is to submit to the plan and the purpose and the direction of God for your wife and for your family. So it is a righteous authority. And so he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he said, for the husband is the head of the wife. We talked about that. I'll, I'll mention briefly in just a moment some things about that. As also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So he gives us a picture of what that submission looks like. And he said, just as the church has submitted itself to Christ. And when he talks about the church, understand, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about people. And he said, just as us, the people of God, have submitted to the authority and to the leadership of Christ. He said, that's the way that women are to submit themselves to their husbands. Now, listen to me. This is so very important. It does not say men subject your wives. It does not mean, men, that you demand that your wives come under your control. It is not a submission that is demanded, but it is a submission that is willingly given by the wife. That's so very important because Christ does not demand us. He does not dominate. He does not control. He does not manipulate us, but he loves us so much and gives himself for us and protects and provides for us that we want to, we want to submit to his leadership. We want to submit to his covering. If you really want to know, ladies, what it means to submit to your husband, it just means this. It just means let him be who God sent you to be to you. Let him be who God created him to be to you. Let him be your covering. Let him be your protector. Let him be your provider. And let me tell you why that's important for women. And we're going to talk about this before I close this morning. And that's because women have a natural tendency to be very independent, to do things in and of themselves. And God says, listen, I've brought somebody into your life, and I just want you to allow them to be to you what I sent them into your life life to be to you does that make sense this morning and then he goes on and he says this he doesn't just say wives now notice he takes two passages of scripture to talk about the role of wives to their husbands there are three times more passages of scripture in this text that talks about the responsibilities of men in other words, our responsibility, and we talked about that last week, that as the head or the leader of the family, it means not just authority, it means responsibility. That we have a responsibility, gentlemen, to lead our family, to lead our wives in a righteous manner. That we have a responsibility to make sure they're being protected, to make sure that they're being provided for. And Paul said it like this. He said, just as the church is subject to Christ. But then he goes on and he says this in verse 25. He said, husbands, love your wives. 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's an agape. It's an unconditional love. It's not a love that I give to her if she's on her best behavior. It's, It's a love that I give her whether it's best behavior or not a good day for her. I still love her unconditionally. Because notice what he said. He said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So how are wives to submit themselves to their husbands? Just as the church submitted to Christ. And how are husbands supposed to love their wives just as Christ loves the church? So he's given us a picture here of what marriage should look like and what the body of Christ and their relationship with Christ should look like. That it should be one, that it should be unified. And he says, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her. It is, as we talked about last week, it is a sacrificial love. And then he goes on and tells us what the product of that will be. He said that he might sanctify. This is what Christ's love has accomplished in the church. And this is what our love for our wives should accomplish in our wives. That he might sanctify. That means to be set apart. In other words, this woman on the front row right here, she's mine and nobody else's. She belongs to me. I could even go so far as to say on this earth, she is my possession. She has been set apart for God for me. And notice he said that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. In other words, if I'm loving my wife the way that Christ loved the church, then my wife will become everything that God has created my wife to become. And at the end of time, I will be able to present my bride to Christ without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, and say, look here, God, I partnered with you in helping my wife become everything that you created my wife to become. Amen. Then he goes on and he says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Now, you may not like the way your body looks, but you do love your body. You do love your flesh. You do love yourself. And he said, he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying that when we come together as husband and wife, we're one. And the way that the enemy would like to try... To destroy our marriages, his strategy has always been the same, divide and conquer. But God's strategy has always been the same too, unify and conquer. Amen. And notice he said, he who loves his wife loves himself because as husband and wife we are one. He said, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. I'm going to talk about what those words mean in just a moment. He nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. In other words, we make sure that we are fed. We make sure that we are clothed. We make sure that we are provided for. We make sure that we are protected. And God said, love your wife the same way you love yourself. In other words, make sure she's got the clothes she needs, the shoes that she needs. Come on, ladies, y'all got to help me preach this morning. I'm trying to help you. Provide, protect. That's what he's talking about here, the kind of love that we have for our wives. And then he goes on in verse 30 and he said, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. 
Now, you may have heard me say this in a class or from this pulpit, but when a man joins himself to his wife, what was the most important relationship in his life other than his relationship with God, his relationship with his parents, that is not his number one priority anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that the parents are not still important. And how many of you parents know that when our kids get married, we kind of get moved down the totem pole a little ways? And that's what he's saying here. That's the way it should be. You leave your husband and wife and, or you leave your, 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 your mom and your dad and you cleave to your wife. And now the most important earthly relationship you have, the number one priority to you gentlemen should be your wife. Man, it got quiet right there. Goodness. Your wife. Then your children. Then other relationships. Of course, the most important relationship in our lives is our relationship with God. But notice he said, when you get married, you leave your father and mother. But he does continue to tell us later that we are to continue to honor our parents. And we're never too old to stop honoring our parents. We should honor our parents until the day they die or until the day we die. And then we should still continue to honor them even when they're gone. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Now notice what he said. This is a great mystery. And the word mystery here means something that was once hidden, but it has now been revealed. And he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let me tell you why God hates divorce. Because marriage is supposed to be an illustration to the world of what our relationship as the body of Christ is to Jesus. And as our relationship to Jesus, in that relationship, we are one. We are unified. We are not divided. And that's why God hates divorce so much is because it's such an inaccurate view. It's such an inaccurate illustration. It's such an inaccurate demonstration even of our relationship, of what the relationship between the body of Christ and the head of the body, Christ, what that relationship is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to function. And so he said, it's a mystery. God said, here's what I've done. He said, I've chosen marriage between a man and a woman. I've chosen marriage to give an illustration to this world of what a relationship with me looks like. Now listen, we want to honor God well. We want to glorify him well. So he goes on and he says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Because the number one need that a woman has in her life is security. And when a man will lay down his life for her to provide that security. And the number one need in a man's life, no men, it's not what you think it is. No ladies, it's not what you think it is. The number one need in a man's life is that he be honored and respected. Honored and respected. That's the role that God has given us. Now, with that in mind, I want you to just see three little things here that I want you to take home with you today about how to practically apply this to our lives. What happens when we fulfill these roles that God has given us. Wives submitting to husbands and husbands submitting to their wives by loving them sacrificially. So you see, it's not one submitting and the other being in charge. It's both submitting one to another. And when we fulfill our roles, here's what it does. It makes us attractive to our spouse and causes them to open their hearts to us. Hey, I don't get this, but I was reading the other day a study that was done 
among women. And women said that they are never more attracted to their husbands than when they see their husbands cleaning the house. As a matter of fact, one, one of the major, it was either Harvard or Yale or someone like that, did a study. Now, I know this is going to sound gross, but they did a study on the effects that male sweat has on a woman. And they brought in a number of women and they put male sweat above their lip under their nose. Now, they didn't know that's what it was. They were told it was some kind of uh, herb or, or, or cologne or perfume. And as a result of that, they saw women become more attracted to their husbands as a result of their sweat. Now, let me interpret that for you guys this morning. You are just one clean house away from the best night of your life. Amen. You see, ladies, I'm trying to help you this morning. Go home, get that mop, get that broom. Get to sweating, brother. And can I tell you this? Can I tell you that when a woman is respecting and honoring her husband, she is never more attractive to her husband than when she's honoring him and when she is respecting him. And then notice the second thing here. When we fulfill our roles, it releases the potential in our spouses. You see, every one of us, when we get married, the first thing that we ought to ask God is God, why did you form my spouse in their mother's womb? What was your reason? What was your purpose, God? What, what, what have you called my spouse to do? And who have you called my spouse to be? And then we should say, okay, God, here's what I want to do. I want to partner with you in helping my wife become everything that you have created her to become. And the same way with, 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 hus with wives, with their husbands. You should want to know what is God's purpose, what is God's calling on my husband's life. And God, how can I partner with you to make sure that, that his full potential is being realized? L listen to this passage of Scripture again when he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself when you love your wife sacrificially he said that that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the watering of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle I know I said this last week but what woman in this building wouldn't want to not have a spot or a wrinkle I know I'm taking that a little bit too far I know I'm taking it a little bit out of context but spot are those external things that defile our wives, 
Wrinkles are those things that decay us from the inside. In other words, you're making sure, as I said last week, that your wife is a person of love and forgiveness, that she's not harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and wrath inside, things that are going to decay, things that are going to cause her to age before her time. He said that when you love her with a sanctifying love, she'll not have spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And then he goes on and he says, husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. Here's what he said, nourishing and cherishing them. Here's what nourish means. It means to feed to maturity. That you are providing the things that she needs to grow physically, spiritually, emotionally in every way. You are nourishing her as you would nourish your own body. And then the word cherish. Do you know what the word cherish means? It means to care for and to protect in a loving manner. In other words, a good husband is like a greenhouse who provides an environment where his wife can grow and mature and realize her potential and become everything that God has called her to become. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, it says, For man is God's glory made in God's own image, but woman is the glory of man. Do you know what that means? That means that man reflects the glory of the God he chooses, but woman reflects the glory of the husband she chooses. So make sure you're choosing good. Make sure you're choosing right. And husbands, make sure that you're the husband to your wife that helps your wife fulfill the potential that God has placed on the inside of her. And then notice this. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 23, we talked about that for a man, his biggest need is honor and respect. And notice what it says about the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 and 23. It says that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In other words, he sits in a very influential position in the community. It's like he's on the city council and he's involved in making major decisions in that community. But notice, it doesn't attribute the fact that he's in this place of honor because of something that he did. He's in this place of honor because of something that his wife did. And here's what I believe. I believe that his wife was treating him like an elder long before he became an elder. And he began to believe, you know what? I might just be able to sit in this seat and I might just be able to have this kind of influence in this community. It's the same thing here in 1 Peter 3. 5 and 6 where it says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now I told Jamie, I said, Honey, you don't have to call me Lord. <laughs> oh, great one, we'll be fine. <laughs> you don't have to call me Lord. But he said that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And what some women would say, well, I would submit to my husband if he was more like an Abraham. Oh, really? You do know that Abraham lied and had his wife lie as well, that she was his wife or that she was his sister. When in reality, she was his wife and allowed her to put, be put into the hands of men who could have violated her if it had not been for God intervening and stopping it. 
Okay, so just remember that next time you say, if my husband would ask, well, why did Abraham become such a great man? I think because she was calling him Lord, because she was calling him a man of honor. She was calling him a man of integrity and treating him like a man of honor and integrity before he ever became one. And she was one of the main reasons why he became the great man of God that he did. And whereas men are like a greenhouse, women are like cheerleaders. You know, when you go to a sporting event, a women's sporting event, you don't see cheerleaders. Why? Because women don't really need that. It's at men's sporting events. They have cheerleaders. And here's the thing about a cheerleader. They come ready to celebrate. They come ready to rejoice. They come ready to have a good time. And they know how to be encouraging even when things are not going well on the field. I mean, their team can be playing horribly, and they're still over there going, push them back, push them back, way back, push them back, push them back. You know, they're not sitting over there saying, oh, come on, guys, my grandma could have made that tackle. <laughs> Cheerleaders, encouragers, honoring, respecting. And when we fulfill those roles, our spouse is able to realize their full potential. And that's what I want, as I said a few moments ago, at the end of time, I want to be able to present my bride to Christ and say to her, here, she became everything you wanted her to become. Thank you for allowing me to partner in that. Because you know that every one of us, when we stand before God, we're going to give an account. And the very first person we're going to have to give an account for is our spouse. Before our children, before any other family member, before any other relationship in our life, we've got to stand before God and give an account of how we partnered with him or worked against him and our wives becoming what God, our spouse becoming what God had created them to be. And here's the last thing, and we'll, we'll get ready to close on this, and that is that when we fulfill our roles, it disables our sin nature and keeps it from destroying our marriage. Because let me tell you something, every one of us here today, we have a sin nature, and our sin nature cannot get along with anybody. And so if we're going to have a marriage that succeeds, that is healthy and happy and holy, we've got to crucify that nature of sin, that nature of sin that is jealous and envious and angry. All of those things that the Bible says about our sin nature. Now, now let me just take a moment here and talk to you. I mentioned a little bit earlier about what the what it seems to be the natural bent of women, even, even in Genesis chapter 3, that it seems like that the woman, that her real struggle was with this whole thing of wanting to be independent. Because notice in Genesis chapter 3, when the, when, the, when the serpent, you know, just kind of slithers in and begins to have this conversation with Eve, the Bible tells us that her husband, Adam, was where? He was right there with her. And then it also tells us that on a daily basis that God would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. But do you know what? When she had that conversation with that serpent, she didn't say, well, hold on just a minute. Let me consult with my husband. Neither did she say, hang on just a minute. God's going to be here in a little while and let me consult with God. Let me talk with God. She made a decision independent of her husband and independent of God. And so what did God do? God gave her an extra layer of accountability. And he told her, he said, listen, now that you're married, you are a team. 
And before you act, consult your husband and consult God. And then the nature of men, we talked about it a little bit last week, is apathy, passivity. Because in Genesis chapter 1, when God created man, he told man, he said, I want you to take dominion over the earth, and I want you to subdue it. He gave man the authority to do that. And in Genesis chapter 3, when his wife is being tempted by the enemy, where is Adam? He is sitting over there doing nothing. When what he ought to have done is he should have gotten up when he heard what the, 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 the serpent was trying to do to deceive and to destroy his wife and his relationship with his wife. He should have gotten up, like I said last week, and put that serpent under his feet and destroyed him and kicked him out of that garden. And so what has God done with men? God has given men an extra layer of responsibility. That you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You are to lay down your life for her. That means when the enemy is coming into your home to steal, to kill, and destroy, and to wreak havoc on your marriage, you don't sit there with the remote control in your hand watching ESPN. You take action to get the devil out of your house. Amen. Amen. This stuff works, Simmonton. This is the Word of God. This is God's design. This is God's plan. This is God's blueprint. But we can only do it with His help. Well, thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you as our guest here at Summerton Church of God. The Lord has given us a vision to transform our community. And we're going to do that by eliminating the darkness through being light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be who Jesus says we are. We worship together every Sunday at 1045, and we would love to have you and your family as our guests.